Be Quan, cut the music. We are back. Episode five, six inside podcast. Got the usual crew here. No hot takes this week, unfortunately. Got a new webcam finally, so you guys won't be looking at my hands when I type. So that'll be that's going to be a fun one too. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff we have to get into. We took a little bit of a break here, and we're all refreshed and ready to go. So as usual, we're going to start with breaking news here. Most recently, Lindor signed a massive 10-year, $340 million contract with Central Schultz. Overpay or properly priced? Uh, Lindor's probably the best shortstop in the MLB. If not best, he's definitely top three. I think he's worth the price. Shortstops are pretty rare if you're going to find a great one. So, I don't know. If the Mets want to be competitive, they need to keep some good players, and the Indians apparently weren't going to keep him, so somebody was going to have to pay him. Cleveland baseball team training away all their players. Story is old as time. I think, too, it'll help. I I don't really see any jersey selling quite like that Lindor Mets jersey is going to sell. I really have a lot of confidence that'll be one of the top ones this year, kind of like Mookie to L.A. last year. Yeah. Moving on, something uh, – that was a little baseball talk. That's kind of weird. I don't <laughs> normally do that. It is opening day after all, though, recording this on April 1st. So no, no jokes in here though. Um, buyout market next up, uh, NBA buyouts and trade deadline just wrapped up over this past week. You had a lot of really big ones. Uh, going to do a little round table here. Going to start with Kylie. We're going to go Kylie Hallen and Schultz and then I'll kind of wrap it up. What was the biggest buyout market slash trade deadline acquisition that you saw? Kylie started with you. I really liked, uh, drumming to the Lakers. I think, He's not really like Blake Griffin or Marcus Aldridge where they're like out of their game, out of their prime. Like they've been hurt and beat up. You know, he's still pretty young. He's still really good on the boards. And, uh, you know, he's super big. So he gets a lot of those putbacks. Um, I think this is just going to be another uh, benefit to the Lakers team. Makes them a lot deeper. They do have Trez, which is a very similar player. Um Trez is a little smaller, though, so it'll be interesting to see when AD comes back how those three kind of take up the time at the five. Um, I'm sure AD will play some four, but we'll see. But I think Adam Drummond, you can't go wrong with that. All right, Halnan, over to you. Yeah, uh, I really like what the Nets are doing. I think the Nets are making a bunch of big moves. Now, I know LaMarcus Aldridge is kind of way out of his prime, but he still got it. He can still move around. Um, Blake Griffin, obviously, I think I think Blake Griffin still got it. I think he might not have been given it like his all at his previous team, but I don't know. I've seen the highlights and I've seen him and Harden are working well together. So I really like what the Nets are doing. I think they're obviously really looking to compete for a championship this season. And I would really like to see a Nets Lakers championship. Lakers adding, like Kylie said, um, Andre Drummond, huge, huge addition. He's huge big man. Uh, he fills up the stat sheet. Um, and like Kylie said, I really like that. Right, Schultz, over to you now. Yeah, I mean, I won't talk about the big names. I'd, I'm a Bucks fan, so we'll talk about Jeff Teague just a little bit. Definitely, need, after we got rid of DJ Augustine, we definitely needed somebody to fill that role. And if Jeff Teague's going to play like 20 minutes for us off the bench, I mean, can't really find a better person to do that off of. And buyout market-wise – I think that's probably was our best option from the guard perspective. So I think the Bucks got marginally better. Not he's not going to put us over the top, kind of like a Drummond type situation for the Lakers, where it feels like a, a lot bigger of a need. But I think it's something that the Bucks definitely needed to 
fix right away, and they kind of did that. So I think that's pretty much that's a pretty bit good pickup, but nothing crazy. Yeah, so I think buyout market wise, uh, you guys have already kind of covered it. I feel like the best player picked up was either Drummond or Gorgie Dang, even though Gorgie wasn't necessarily a buyout candidate and he didn't go to a contender, he went to the Spurs. Um, I feel as if those kind of were the biggest names here. I think LaMarcus and Blake Griffin, their names definitely influenced a lot of the reaction there. I don't feel as if they're kind of the crazy, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone here is trying to say that they're the crazy players that they once were. But I do think that they will at the end of the day, they will help a little bit. I think trade deadline wise too, my kind of team that I feel the worst about is the Knicks, given buyout market too. You know, buyout market ends, teams in a pretty good position. They don't end up making any moves. They were rumored to get Lonzo Ball, maybe make a run at Kyle Lowry. And then Drummond doesn't end up signing with them in the very next day. Mitchell Robinson breaks, I believe, either his hand or his foot. He broke the other one previously, just came back and then broke whichever one he didn't break yet. So that was pretty unfortunate for them. I think my biggest winner, though, the Nuggets, watching them with Aaron Gordon, I don't know how I kind of didn't think of that fit last year. If Jeremy Grant worked with them last year as well as it did, I really feel as if Aaron Gordon was a natural-born fit, and I have no idea how I never even saw that as a possibility. Any other trades you guys want to talk about or get into? Maybe losers from the deadline, or you want to move on to the next subject? I mean, I think the biggest non-story would have been Lowry not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you'd kind of imagine – it's kind of boring when you think about the trade deadline, and that's definitely the biggest story, is that the biggest player on that was going to get moved didn't get moved. But I think that just kind of – I think it's cool that Kyle Lowry is going to stay there, like, throughout his contract. And I think that's kind of a fun, like, way to end what was a definitely a great legacy in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I also appreciate – I think everybody in Toronto kind of appreciated him saying, like, yeah, use me to rebuild, like, don't cheap out on me if you're going to trade me, like, try to get a lot for me. And I think that's just, like, a pretty solid thing for him to do. It's kind of repaying that franchise. And now he's – I don't have any problem with him staying. If I'm a Raptors fan, I know he's going to give it his all no matter what. He's When you think about the Raptors at this point, you kind of just think of Kyle Lowry. And I think that's a pretty big non-story in terms of just people staying and not moving. But uh, I'm glad he didn't go to the Sixers. I'm glad he didn't go to any of those contenders in the East just for my Bucks' sake. But – We'll see where uh, he takes them in the future. Was Oladipo a trade, or was that a? I, I think that was a trade, right? So the Heat. It was a trade, I believe. It, I don't think it was for much. I think they got like Olenek, maybe. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take a look at that. But that one was pretty funny to me too because it was this guy that was really highly valued. Um, you know, Indiana kid. We we love the guy to death here, but uh, definitely was interesting to see how that all developed. You know, you had the major Harden trade with Oladipo going to Houston and then getting rid of Chris Levert. And then all of a sudden, they get nothing for him and continue to be one of the worst NBA teams I have ever seen in my right, years I got watching the sport. It was Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a 2022 first-round swap with the Nets. So, literally nothing. I'm pretty sure bags of chips are like $2 at the store. Yeah, like that's that's – that's, that's nuts to me. <laughs> uh, another, piece of, uh, another piece of breaking news from today – uh, Roy Williams, after I believe it was 30 years, 33 years as head coach of UNC, has finally 28. 28. All right, I'm wrong. My bad. <laughs> Anyways, he ended up finally announcing his retirement from coaching at the ripe age of, let me get this right, at least 70, correct? Yeah. There we go. 70, some host I am. 
Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Uh, predictions for your next coach? What, what do you guys got on that? Well, I think Roy Williams is – I mean, he's not Coach K level of success, but if you're going to mention, like, the best coaches of the past, like, 20 years, Roy Williams is definitely number two. I think that's a pretty strong – he has a great argument for that with how amazing he's had – he's had great success at Kansas and then went to UNC and kind of took over that Dean Smith legacy and just – kept it going whoever replaces him I have no idea who that's going to be at this point I haven't really thought about it I think it's probably going to be somebody within the UNC family might not be somebody on the staff right now but somebody who has some sort of ties to North Carolina I think that'll probably be the eventual replacement but I think Roy Williams is probably like I said considered one of the best coaches of all time and the game's going to miss him more than not and uh it's a pretty big pretty big story I mean Roy Williams, and that's a huge job. Yeah, I, I was surprised he left because he's got a young team right now. He got, like, all those incoming freshmen, and I don't see a lot of those guys, like, entering the draft. Maybe maybe one, maybe two. But I can see a lot of those guys staying. So I was surprised that uh, he kind of called it quits. But I'm very – Well, he's had some health problems. That was yeah. the main thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, I originally thought it was an April Fool's joke. Um. You know, with all that stuff, a lot of the sports Twitters like to have fun with that and mess around with either changes to facilities or players, stuff like that. So I thought it was an April Fool's joke. But, yeah, he's definitely one of the best coaches of recent time and even for a while now because he's old. But I think um, – the North Carolina program's in a good spot and whoever comes in next is going to be in good hands. And I mean, they've had sustained success, so it'll be a lot of pressure, but I'm sure they'll bring in a good option. Uh, I'm not really sure who it would be. I would love to see Wes Miller go there. Uh, the UNC Greensboro coach, he's been solid there for seven years, seven or eight years. Um, in North Carolina, so there's a tie there. Um, it'll be interesting to see. They'll, they'll probably aim for a bigger name, but I think yeah, Porter Moser would go there. No, that doesn't seem like him. I, if I was going to guess, the thing is, if Jerry Stackhouse wasn't a first-year coach, I think that's that's who they would have gone for is Jerry Stackhouse, but he's only been at Vanderbilt for one year, I want to say, maybe two. But either way, he's pretty new into coaching, and I don't think they're going to throw him in. But I – that's the first name that I thought of when I was thinking of replacement and within that UNC family would be Jerry Stackhouse. And I wouldn't well, be that surprised if they replaced So it. real quick with Jerry, Jerry was a, he was the Raptors 905 coach. Yeah. There. He, he had about three years experience of that with that and was one of the potential guys once that Raptors job opened up, that was potentially going to be named to that job. Um, so he does have that experience. I do. Re I would absolutely love that though. Uh, yeah. Being at Vanderbilt, they don't really have much to work with here. They just got a brand new, you know, football facility and basketball facility funded at least, not built yet. But uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, but he'd be – he's definitely – he's the one name for me that if I were to play someone just as of right now, i put him there. I think Porter Moser was actually rumored to be in talks with Oklahoma for – their I recent like opening that. too, which yeah. would be a great fit if he does choose to leave. There's so many openings too, and that's what we'll get into here next. There's not only are there so many openings, there have been so many firings. You know, we had in the last four hours, it's been rumored for a while that Chris Beer was going to leave Texas Tech for Texas. And lo and behold, here we are. It's happened. Chris Beer, new head coach of Texas here. We, we've just got a lot to 
get into coaching wise. So uh, where where do we start? I guess which which hire do you guys want to get into first? I like Shaka's move to Marquette. Ooh, and I think he went to Marquette because he knew that his time at Texas was probably up. So that's definitely a down. Like competitively, Marquette's always good, but pay pay wise, that's definitely a, down, a downgrade. He's not getting paid the same money that he was getting paid at Texas. Yeah, Mutual agreement, kind of, you know, yeah. where it was like, we don't, we're not going to fire you. We're going to let you step down or something like that. I think the writing was definitely on the wall there. I, you know, he made the tournament, what, three times with them or something along those lines. I don't think he ever made it out of the first round. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if he got a They've win. always struggled. Like it's, and those teams have been way too good for those results to, you know, not show up. Definitely. Yeah. I would like to talk about the Mike Woodson hired IU. Shocking. Uh, as an IU fan, you know, definitely wasn't my first option, but after having a few days to process it and combining it with the idea of Thad Mata coming in to be like the associate athletic director of basketball, I think that makes me feel a lot better about it. Uh, I, like I said, he wasn't my first choice. Yeah, that's because um, all the IU fans were delusional about getting Brad Stevens. <laughs> well, I mean, Brad Stevens, I never really I, – I mean, I wanted it when there was Oh, I can pull up the text. You, were you about to say I was never <laughs> expecting it? Shut <laughs> up. You said the rumor. It's happening. Yeah, for it's sure. Happening. <laughs> but um, he's got like 25 years of NBA coaching experience. Never been a college coach, but he comes from that. Bob Knight, uh, you know, he played with him or played under him. Uh, so – Every IU fan wants that return to Bob Knight. So here's our here here it is. Let's see how it goes. Um, I think you combine his NBA experience with Thad Mata being one of the best college coaches in recent time. I think there's I mean there's got to be no way that this team doesn't get back to some sort of relevancy. Yeah, it's not like IU hasn't said that every year for the past like twenty years. Is Armand in the transfer portal still, or did he pull out? Yeah. Yeah, the ones that have come back are Parker Stewart and um, some of the recruits have said that they're going to stay committed. So Lander's still in the portal too, right, in Geronimo? Yeah, yep. And who committed to Providence? And then Al Durham committed to Providence. But he was already a senior. He was a grad transfer. So he would have been gone anyways, I think. I think the bigger part of that hire is the Thad Mata part of it because he's going to be able to handle all that recruiting and he won't have to handle the in-game stress. I think he's going to kind of do the heavy lifting with all the in-game or like the in-house stuff. And Mike Woodson's going to kind of stick to that on the court, like strategy wise. I think that's hopefully that's going to be a really strong marriage between those two parts in that program. Cause everybody knows Thad Mata knows how to run a program very, very well. He did it so many successful years at Butler, then Xavier, then Ohio state. So I think that's, if you're looking at it as an IU fan, if you're looking at the parts to be excited about, I think it's definitely uh, Thad Mata handling the recruiting aspect and more of the in-house stuff. And then Mike Woodson hopefully showing what his NBA ex- expertise has been for the past 25 years in his on-the-court stuff. And I think that's what's kind of going to push them ahead, if anything, for IU. So if I'm not mistaken, IU also hired a – who was the SMU head coach who got ousted? Larry for, Brown. Um, yeah, Larry yeah. Brown's there too, correct? It's I know not, Mike Woodson wanted to bring him on. Yeah, I don't know if he's there, there. Yeah, there's been talks about it. I think they're still kind of 
talking about it. I think it'd be more of like an advisory role yeah. considering he's, he's 80 he's like years 80, old. Yeah. So <laughs> that's me. Okay. Mean, that would strike yeah. me almost as like the Michigan model of how they've been doing things with, you know, you've got this while Mike Woodson obviously is head coaching experience. You have a newer head coach with guys with plenty of experience in the backdrop. I want to say Michigan's coaching staff has like two or three head coaches on it, including of course, mm-hmm. Juan Howard right behind him. And these aren't like just, Oh, I had a one-off job as an interim head coach. It's like legendary coaches that, have these big names like that bottom, like a Larry Brown, just kind of like that, which I think, honestly, you know, you saw how Michigan did this year. That should be a successful model to kind of continue off of. Let's hope so. <laughs> Lord knows they need it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about Chris Beard just a little more. I know we mentioned him, but I think Texas just got probably the best coach that the, that anybody's going to be able to get this offseason. That guy has turned – Turned Arkansas Little Rock into a team that could beat Purdue. And then he left to go to Texas Tech and built that team into a national championship contender in two years. And then just a perennial, very strong team after that. And I think he's only going to get better recruits once he gets to Texas. And he's just going to be able to continue that model next year. He's kind of – I don't really know how Texas Tech let him go. Because he was getting paid $4 million. I don't know how much Texas must have paid him. Because that guy was getting already the bag at Texas Tech. So Texas – must be dropping pretty close to like Cal Perry money for this dude. And I don't know. I think Chris Beard's probably the biggest name that's going to leave a school this year. If I had to guess, I'm trying to think of other people off the top of my head that might be besides Roy Williams, obviously that's kind of a counter example, but I mean, other guys that you could think about that might be leaving. We've been kind of discussing this kind of moving on a little bit would be like a NATO or a, or a Musselman, like those types of guys that are at strong programs, uh, that can pay well, but not necessarily name recognition wise, like blue blood wise. And when those openings like Oklahoma, who even, even Oklahoma has like a little bit more of a name recognition than a Alabama or an Arkansas of definitely more of recent memory with the players they've produced. And then North Carolina's opening now, like I said, I think that's more of a in-house situation, but I could see them taking an Eric Musselman or a Nate O's approach. Uh, what do you guys, who do you guys think next biggest name from a school that leaves like one of those Nate Oates or any of those guys do you think any of those guys are leaving or they're all staying put for another year I could see them all staying put for another year I, can, I honestly can't see any of those guys leaving yeah I think some of those guys are more going to be in the cycle next year um, <clears throat> if they so, have another good season at those respective schools you know, there will be more jobs opening up like there is every year, and there will be some big schools looking for people. And after a couple years of good success at, like, Bama and Arkansas, you're playing good teams still. It's not like you're having success against, like, these tiny schools. So they'll be proven, and I think, you know, now that you talk about Nate Oates, I really could see him to UNC, but I'm pretty sure he signed a big extension with Bama. So that's why I was saying that probably wouldn't be this cycle, but I think that would be a good fit at UNC. Yeah, I'm curious to see who Texas Tech picks up too, because like yeah. Chris Beard left behind a good team. Mm-hmm. Like they got McClung still, they have good players. So I'm curious to see who they hire. I think for, it's just tough for Texas Tech. I think North Texas's head coach is a guy to really, really take a look at. He was in him. So for Oklahoma specifically, Porter Moser and Grant McCasland, who were 
Grant McCaslin's North Texas as head coach. Those were the names that were in talks with the Oklahoma job. I think with this job now opening up too, especially with the Texas connection being there, I think he could be a name to definitely look at for a potential opening for that job. One name I see. Oh, go ahead. One name I just thought about was uh, actually I don't know his name, but the Oregon State coach. I think some teams Tinkle. could potentially uh, be calling for him. He's like six <laughs> eleven. He's a monster, but their defense is insane, and they made that long run. I think some teams will be calling to see what his deal is. I could see uh, – I just thought of this. I could see UNC calling Jay Wright. No chance. You don't think so? No chance. Why would Jay Wright leave? Villanova's had just as much success as UNC the past 10 years. Well, why would Roy Williams leave Kansas to go to UNC? Because he was Dean Smith's assistant coach. I don't know. I can. There's see a Jay lot Wright more of a connection a there. Game. I would, if Jay Wright moves to North Carolina, I would be very shocked. But who knows? I guess. Did you? And the other really, really lot. big news. Uh, Richard Patino is the New Mexico head coach. I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Did he take in that? The middle of nowhere. Yeah. New Mexico. I'm pretty sure. He, when he first just, took that job at Iona, I, I read like so no, 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 not no, his son, team. his kid. Oh. The son. <laughs> okay, I was going to say. They're going to return to that. They're going to return to that nice. Uh, I do think they, they are a team to look out for. Like, yeah. Weren't they like a four decent. seed when they had Steve Alford? Like, they're usually solid. North, New Mexico's not yeah. usually a bad mid-major. They're usually, like, them and New Mexico State mm-hmm. were usually a team that you'd be like, they could probably win a game or two in the tournament. Yeah, so, I think, sure. obviously, this isn't huge news in terms of major colleges, but, like, Richard Pitino's not a horrible coach, I don't yeah. think. I mean, he didn't do it's great at Minnesota. Job. But I think it's a smaller school, and he might be able to use his name recognition alone to get pull some, like, stronger recruits. Uh, you that's, think a that, her, that's a her conference to coach in, too, big time, for your, yeah. you know, was that his first head coaching job, or – I Did he have a position was. right before that? Regardless, it was. it was it was early on in his coaching career. That is a hard, oh, hard sorry. spot. He was to at start. FIU for a year. Okay, but only a year. So regardless, wow, he was at Minnesota for eight years, guys. Mm-hmm. That is fucking wild. God, that flew by. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, one other guy that I think we could probably look at. I think he stays around the Midwest. Would be that Drake head coach and Devries. I think his name is. Mm-hmm. They've had a, he built up a pretty solid program the last five years. I've seen rumors of him being looked at a little bit. I think that guy could potentially be going somewhere. And then I'm trying to think there's one other person I was thinking might be on the move. Let me get back to me. Somebody talk about something. Oral Roberts head coach signed a ninth <laughs> yeah, year extension that. today. You you knew oh, he what? was using that no matter what. Wait, like yeah. he was like he could get offered something else and he'd be like, Yes, yeah. see ya. Like I don't care about your extension, but like that's just in case. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's realistically. Oh, uh, it, does Abilene Christian still have their head coach, or oh, Abilene yeah. Christian? Because that's that's another really interesting one. Them are you know looking at like a Grand Canyon type program where those were not good teams at all. Oh. Like if I'm not mistaken, Abilene was. Are they the newest D1 for they, basketball? They are. I think they are. But Grand Canyon, don't think about it. That's Bryce Drew's team. That's yeah. he was Vanderbilt's head coach. Yeah, okay. My apologies. And Abilene Christian, though, I think that their head coach is something to really look at because, you know, they came in – they made noise in the tourney. Like, they were actually – what were they, a 13? Uh, 14. Around? 14, 14 team. But still, that's, ex- that's so impressive for a team It's that- impressive, but then you watch how they beat Texas, and it's because Texas played probably the worst yeah. game of basketball I've ever seen. 
Right. And then they went and played UCLA and looked like right. Abel and Christian looked awful in that game. Yeah. So like, they looked like Abel and Christian. It really looks like they – like if you're watching that, it's like they didn't – it doesn't look like they belong there. Like Oral Roberts held their own in both games. Mm-hmm. Like it looked – Oral Roberts looked like they belonged in every game they were in where Abel and Christian looks like they got lucky in that Texas game and kind of just like escaped past it. And then they just got what they like should have gotten against Texas, against UCLA. So that – if I'm if I'm hiring, that's something I'm definitely looking at. I think another team is Buffalo. There's been a lot of success to come out of that program with head coaches between Hurley and Oates and now Witzel. And uh, obviously they didn't make the tournament. They lost to Ohio in the championship. But I don't think anybody in the MAC was going to beat that Ohio team in the past or in that, this season just from how hot they were. Mm-hmm. So I think Buffalo, they have a pretty solid coaching tree. And I think if a team's just kind of basing it off of that and recent success, I think that's a, that's a guy that maybe not this year, but in a few years will be making a solid move, not like a big move, but kind of like a NATO move where like you go from Mac to a, like a not powerhouse in a power conference. And then who did DePaul hire? Cause we obviously have to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. So DePaul will be the last one that we'll get into. So that was uh, Tony Stubblefield, Stubblefield. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but he was an assistant coach at Oregon for 11 years. Oh, I wanted okay, to get into that one. Oh yeah. I read about him. He I'm was so happy. A big time recruiter. Like he's I am a really so good happy for them because that team is, they have a lot of talent on the team. You know, I'm very biased towards them because of uh, Javon Freeman Liberty, but there's way too much talent on that team to be as bad as they were. Mm-hmm. So I I really hope this helps to you know start getting them to turn the ship here around yeah. and get going to being like an actual contender in the Big East if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one more thing before we move on. Micah Shrewsbury is going to be a great coach at Penn State, and he's going to probably turn that program around into like a top twenty-five team. Maybe not this next year, but in two years, that team's going to be really good. Watch out for them. He's going to go to a high major right afterwards. But I just agree. wanted to get that out there. I wanted that on record. Michael Shrewsbury is a phenomenal hire. There you go. So final four going on uh, this weekend. I believe it's two. Yeah, today's Thursday. So two days from now. Uh, Going to get into some tourney talk now. What teams, you know, there's so much that we have to talk about. It's going to be hard to kind of stop ourselves from doing it. But I guess, you know, what what teams do we want to talk about? What teams impress you guys? Disappointed? Gonzaga's going to win the national championship. Gonzaga's the best team I've <laughs> ever watched in person. They're so good. They're like, you just watch flawless. that team, and you're like, how do you beat this team? Everybody can everybody can score in multiple ways on that team. They're unguardable, and then if you, like, even if they're not scoring, then Suggs is going to lock up their best guard. And Timmy, who everybody thought was going to like struggle against Mobley, against that NBA talent, he held his own. He was fine. Like I don't know how you beat this team you're in any stash. way. Yeah, Jack and I were at, Jack and I were at the game and like we were just watching and like halfway through the first half I was I looked at him like are you even paying attention at this point? Kisper just kind of look up. Kisper could barely hit a three and they were still up by fifteen. Yeah, it was ridiculous. That's I agree with Jack. We were we were kind of talking about this. We can talk about this too. Uh, I I said this is probably the best if they win the national championship. This is probably the best college basketball team in the last twenty years. Uh, I think there's yeah. probably two that you could there's two or three counterexamples you could use. One being Villanova. Uh, with Dante DiVincenzo, that season was really, really good. Another one is that Kentucky team with AD. Yep. And then that, I mean, any of those three, just pick one of that Duke, Wisconsin, UNC, or uh, Kentucky Final Four. The, all three of those teams are phenomenal. But I, I think if Gonzaga wins the national championship, this has been the most dominant team top to bottom. I think they take all of those. 
So I'm hope I, they finally I do it. Man. Stand, so I, I I want them, I want them to, to finally pull it off. Nah. I, I, I want, want I, I, I want Mark Few to finally get that monkey off of his back and like win that title that he because he, he's one of the he's a one of the all time great coaches. He's going to continue cementing that as he you know, he's only I thought he was a lot older. He's like fifty two. Yeah, he's going to be there for a while. He, he's going to be yeah. there for a long, long time, and that program, they ain't going away anytime soon. Yeah. They, yeah. they think it's about to be their worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So, Thompson. Let's get into that then. UCLA, how about that? You know, Pac-12 in general, just – I Conference of Champions, I should have listened to Bill Walton. I was not <laughs> expecting that whatsoever. I we watched – I was at that first four game when they played Michigan State, and I was like – I knew Drew Zhang. I knew who he was. And I was like, who the hell is this Jack Quiz junior guy? Because he went off in that first game. And I was like, it's like, they look pretty good. You know, like, I bet they could win, like, another round. And now they're in the final four against Gonzaga. Um, I've been super impressed with them. Uh, I, that guy, Cody Riley on, on UCLA, uh, him, Drew Zhang, and Jack Quiz, sometimes Tiger. But those three are the main parts of their offense. If Tiger's hitting, they're really good. And they showed that against Michigan. Because when he started hitting, they won. That's my take on UCLA, if anyone else wants to talk about them. I mean, I talk about Jules Bernard a little bit, too. He's kind of their fourth guy. And he's he had – how many did he have against Bama? 20? 19? Yeah, like yeah. Like, that guy's – like, it's pretty impressive that we haven't – you didn't even think to mention him, and he's probably fourth or fifth best player on that team. They have a lot of talent. They're just not probably the least deep team remaining. Like, it's, like, you see that, like, they have, like, what, seven guys that they play, and then after that, they, it's, they don't play anybody. Like, so if yeah. they get into foul trouble, that's their that, biggest thing. When they got into foul trouble in Michigan and they start bringing in those big guys off the bench, that's, that's when they started falling apart. That's when the wheels started coming yeah. off. I mean, they, they played someone – whatever that backup center was for them, he played his career high in minutes against Michigan, and that is yeah, not an Nooba. easy team to play, <laughs> you know, the longest amount in your career. So we've covered two of the – Two of the final four teams. Let's go to the other side of the bracket now. Yeah, I'll talk about Baylor. Um, You know, really disappointed that my Arky boys didn't make it. But, uh, you know, Baylor looks really good. There was one point I was watching the Arkansas game, and Arkansas was 12 for 20, which is good from the field. 60%, (laughs) yeah. And they were still down 13 points, like – this Baylor team just plays tough defense, and their offense is, like, beautiful. It's a masterpiece. And, like, you have those guards, and then once they get into, like, penetrate the defense, they just lob it up sometimes, and those big guys just go and get it. And they're super fun to watch. Bunch of shooters. It's really tough to stop that team, and their trap defense obviously gave Arkansas a lot of problems and I feel like they get teams into foul trouble somehow uh probably just the pressure and um playing that tough D and the ball movement uh there's a lot of fouls just from moving but I think that'll if they can if they I'm assuming that's going to be Baylor Gonzaga and I think if Gonzaga gets into foul trouble that Baylor could easily take it from them yeah, so I think, you know, Baylor was really impressive to me, too. Uh, I wish Teague had a normal jump shot. If he did, that would he would be such a good prospect. But 
Hitch, he doesn't like when you talk about it. Yeah, I know. I know he doesn't. It's, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, apparently. Um, I want to talk about Oregon State a little bit. Obviously, Houston beat them. But that Houston-Oregon State game was a very cool kind of game to watch just from a coaching standpoint. I absolutely love Oregon State's defense and how just mid-possession switching from man to zone. That 1-3-1 that they ran was really good. But, of course, Houston – You've got, I believe they're the, according to Kempom, they're the second best offensive rebounding in the team. It was something like 45% of their shots they were getting a second chance on. It was like, that's not their season stats. That was last game. I think for the season, it was like 34% or something along those lines. But anything that was going up, they had four guys going to the boards immediately and they were getting those second chances. And it's, it's not like they're a big team either. It's just tenaciousness and everyone bought in to that mindset essentially so definitely a really cool uh thing to watch grimes is another player too that i'm really keeping my eye on just specifically from an nba draft standpoint he's the type of guy who i think the tournament has overall helped and he can he can really kind of cement his he's probably a second rounder but he can cement his status of you know getting drafted just as you know strictly a shooter with you know one more good performance maybe if not two let's say they win then two more good performances absolutely but he's really one away from being a lock to at least get drafted which i think is pretty cool to think of considering he wasn't really all that highly sought out sought out yeah yeah i really like that houston team i've liked them all season they kind of want so this is a houston team you got to remember they lost their best player was the sick or was supposed to be their sixth man and he was the preseason all american Athletic Conference Player of the Year. That was their preseason guy, and he's trans. He transferred midseason. So this is a team. Just imagine they're already dangerous in that backcourt with Sasser, Darrow, and Grimes. Imagine having a fourth guy like that in the backcourt. Like this team would be unbelievably dynamic. Um, just among those guys. Uh, obviously they're a little small, but this is kind of like the perfect matchup for Baylor. Uh, if you look at just like those rosters, they're pretty much identical with how they play. And it's going to be, this is going to be a really, really fun game. I think it's going to be really fast paced and it's going to be pretty high scoring. I think it's, I think Baylor autom- um, ultimately gets that win, but I don't think it's going to be all that much of a blowout. Like some people might think because Dejon Giroux has been kind of a game changer for them. He's that six, five point guard who can kind of make everything happen. He's not like a lights out shooter, but he's gotten a lot better. I've been watching him since sophomore. He's, because he went to UMass so since his sophomore year when he transferred. I really like this Houston team. I wouldn't be all that surprised if they upset Baylor just because of how dynamic they are with this team. It's just like similar to uh, UCLA. They're not that deep. They kind of play like that. They play about seven guys. So, mm-hmm. and like five of them are like really good. And then who's, who's their Cheney? That Cheney Do you think guy uh, UCLA has a shot against the Zags or not? Nah? I don't think so. Personally. He's going to be a blowout or no? Close game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a blowout. Gonzaga has only won one game by less than 10 points this season. And I don't think UCLA is going to be the team that changes that. It's nuts. It, and I think it's fate that that number one that Gonzaga-Baylor game got canceled earlier this season. Mm-hmm. And now I want, them to, I want it to be yeah. fate. And I want them to play in the national That'd game. be crazy. <laughs> it's kind of nice, too, kind of that it did get can- – especially if we end up with that because mm-hmm. those have kind of consistently been like the two the top dogs. And they've been in their own tier the entire season. Yep. Everyone's like Gonzaga, mm-hmm. Baylor, they're better than everyone else. So it would be perfect. Yeah, and it, it, was always, it was always Gonzaga over Baylor too, but that a lot of that question was like obviously they've been dominant because they're not playing anyone. So, yeah. you know, this could be 
that first challenge. And how about Oral Roberts? So I wanted to go back here to last podcast. I have a list on the Google Doc that we use of, there's about 21 uh, cold takes that we had from our uh, bracket pod. Overall brackets are doing pretty well though, if I'm not mistaken. I'm like top 87%, something like that. So that's that's been going yeah, well. Uh, my favorite, <laughs> this one involves Oral Roberts. Uh, we talked about Ohio State for about three seconds on the pod and we said and then and i quote and then obviously ohio state and moved on to the very next game so i think we owe we owe oral roberts a little bit of time here yeah i didn't realize that they had two dudes that were going to average 20 points a game in the tournament my bad oral roberts i i guess like you know how i was telling you about like that thing the kempom thing where you got to be worried about a team that has like a worse than 75 uh mm-hmm. either rating ohio state did have a 79 rating for on uh defense so like they fit that category so yeah. in the future we just got to stick to that yep but <laughs> the, I, i'm glad oral roberts is like that was such a fun team to watch and mm, it, yeah. i mean we were kind of mentioning this a little earlier just draft stocks yep. uh abmus i think that's how we pronounce his name he played three games and i still not 100 sure but like that guy talk about a story somebody that nobody's ever heard of like oh this guy's just like a small school scores 30 points a game probably just chucks too this guy's probably gonna draft like probably gonna get drafted maybe even the first round yeah i would be kind of surprised if he went i you, you're the draft guy i yes. would still be surprised if he would get drafted in the first round i think his stocks at an all-time high mm-hmm. and it's gonna waver more once uh combine and different things like so that. so i think abmus is the perfect definition of a guy who should declare but not with an agent mm-hmm. um he could benefit from a lot of that feedback. I kind of have two concerns with him. One, I do think he's a first round player. I just don't know if this year is the year for him. Uh, Gavoni and ESPN rated him at 30th overall after not even making an appearance on the list, which is a- That's wild. That is the definition of a meteoric rise. My one concern with him though, I don't know if he's actually six foot one. I could very easily see him being 5'11". And at that point, you're kind of- you're really pushing it there. And he's a different prospect too than, you know, Kay Felder. Everyone here remembers Kay Felder. Guy went yeah. off for Oakland University, led the league in scoring. And then it, I think he got drafted in the second round by the Cavaliers when LeBron was on it. Guy was awful. He was five foot nine in the NBA. So that it's, it's different from that. I get a lot more of a CJ McCollum type feel here than just a March Madness, you know, Cinderella story for a player, or at least for me, you know, I could be completely off, but, he can shoot the lights out. He's got a great pull-up game, too. And I did see a lot of those similarities with CJ. I think, you know, if he does stay a few more years, that, could, that couldn't really hurt him all that much. Well, so I guess I, I just have to say one thing about that. So usually, like, when people come back, it's when they're playing, like, in a good conference. I think yes. it could potentially hurt him. Let's say that he comes back, O'Banner or Obanor, however you pronounce his name. I Forgive me. Uh, if those two guys come back, you'd imagine they probably make the tournament, but let's say they don't. I feel like that that's going to kind of hurt his draft stock too. Like this guy can't even win in this not that great conference. Um, an example would be Steph Curry. He came back after having that great tournament and then came back and improved his draft stock. So you could kind of argue it both ways, but if I'm Admus, I'd probably, I, that would be the thing that I'd be most worried about. So it's just, I guess, how confident, how confident he is in being drafted first of all in the first round. And if he thinks he can improve it. Yeah, so with, with McCollum, real quick, so he did actually stay all four years at Lehigh. So he, which really surprised me, honestly, because I feel like he's not, I mean, shoot, the guy's 29 right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I think with, it's not a weak conference, or it's not a strong conference by any means. But I think now that he has the eyes on him, because that's really, that's all he needed was the sure. eyes on him. 
K had K had the eyes and stuff, but he didn't have the height and a lot of parts of the game were missing. So I think if he gets any draft grade where it's like you could go in the twenties, I think you take that. But if you're if they're saying late first, early second round, you want that guaranteed money. You want that fourth year. I, I think you need to kind of go back. Uh, Kylie, you said you wanted to add something here. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about if you look at the remaining four teams. So I know Roy Williams, one of the things that he said for reasons of retiring was the new he's worried about like all the transfers that have been happening in uh, college basketball. And you look at the final four teams, all four of those teams have one of their better players are transfers from bigger programs. So Baylor, you got Davion Mitchell from Auburn, uh, Houston, Quentin Grimes from Kansas, Juzang uh, from Kentucky for UCLA, and um, you got Andrew Nembard for uh, Gonzaga from Florida. Um, so I guess with all these names that are entering the transfer portal now, uh, obviously you can come back still to your school, but how important do you think – um, you know, considering that all Final Four teams have a key transfer, how important do you think, like, that'll be moving forward in terms of focus for recruiting? That's a good question. I mean, I think it'll be super important. Uh, I mean, they got – Macy O.T. came from USC Asheville, too. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it opens up so much more because then all of a sudden, like, these big-time schools are looking at these smaller Division One colleges and even, like, D2, D3 colleges – and seeing like, huh, like this guy averaged 20, 20 points a game, shot 40% from three. Like maybe we should give this guy a look. Like it definitely – I feel like it opens up the door for a lot of like smaller D1 players and D2 players to maybe get their foot in the door at those high-level D1 programs. I like it. I love following the transfer portal. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it gives the players like a great handle on their career path. Like it gives them like what they want to do, like they can do it. They can leave. They can go play for another program. So I kind of like it. Yeah, I'm. I'm never gonna get mad at a player for transferring when coach. When one, they're not getting paid, and that's a whole another issue that we yeah. maybe get into over the summer when stuff slows down. But two, coaches can just leave whenever, mm-hmm. and then the players are just kind of either stuck there. They have to transfer, apply for a hardship waiver. I'm never gonna fault a team for doing that this to me like Roy saying that kind of struck me as like a old man yells at cloud type moment uh where it's like Mm. oh these dang kids there's no loyalty here yada 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 I hate to kind of say that on the day that he did step down and retire but that's really I, I think that's what a lot of this comes down to um I think it's also a lot of these college programs I have a I'm not gonna people could probably piece together who I'm talking about here based on he's a big east player um during his recruitment, he was reached out to by San Diego State, I believe, as a potential candidate for, hey, you know, we want you on this team, but we don't want you right now while you're undergrad. Stay a year or something like that, and then we'll transfer in. So a lot of that does happen here where it's like you need to go play somewhere else before transferring into some of those programs. Definitely. All right, Schultz, your last stop here. Transfer market or not. Mm-hmm up to you yeah I mean transfer market for me is kind of I think it's really good for mid-major programs more than major programs because it gives those kids that aren't going to get those major looks uh, a much better opportunity to kind of get that 
last second to like get into the NBA. Cause there's, I'm sure there's a lot of kids that slip through those cracks that could make potentially make a difference in the NBA, but aren't either getting that top level coaching slash facilities or just in general, just the looks from those national conference games. So I think that obviously you can't regulate whether mid majors can transfer whenever they want and major kids can't, but I think that's definitely always still, I think that should always be the priority is targeting those little, not little kids, but the mid major guys. And I think that's the more important part about this new transfer wave is giving those kids opportunities because the mid, they're the major guys. Yeah, they can move. Quinn Grimes moved. I think that's more of a move from like, and Juzang, these are examples of guys that had that top talent and they couldn't handle like all the pressure from that. And they just like, they expected to be that guy right off the bat and they ended up not being that guy right off the bat. And that's fine. Not everybody has, and they showed that they can uh, grow and become good players in other programs when they have a year to develop. And I think that's important too. So I think either way, I think transfers are important, whether they should get that immediate year of eligibility that I think that's still should be from a case to case basis. I think, it should be a lot more lenient than it currently is. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because then you kind of, you're creating this free agent market every year where you can potentially create these super teams and nobody really wants to see that either. Mm-hmm. But then you have the argument that, yeah, they're creating these super teams, but that's always gonna, also going to hurt their draft stock because they're not going to be the feature guy. So I think all of those things are kind of always going to work out. I mean, this year was an example of everybody's able to transfer and kind of play right away. And there are no major issues. There's no major disparities. It's not like Zaga had six transfers that were all like from Kansas to Kentucky. There was one guy from Florida who was legitimately, if he wasn't on the team, I don't really think they'd be that. Like they'd probably still be the best team in the nation by like quite some margin. So overall, transfers good for, I think they're good overall. Better for mid-majors, player-wise kind of screws over the mid-major programs because they develop these kids for two to three years and then they kind of get no retribution for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one tournament appearance, but that's about it. But overall, I really like transfers because they help Butler. They've helped them every year. Hopefully we pick up one or two this year. Uh, <laughs> but if Chuck Harris transfers, then I hate transfers. So that's kind of oh, we, we, we forgot to talk about too, or, or just really quick, Butler seniors are coming back too. Oh, I don't yeah, think that news had broken either. Uh, obviously, you know, we don't necessarily need to dive into that. If you're listening to that pod, you know how we feel about this. Uh, that's huge. That is yeah. absolutely huge for the program. Um, yeah. so if I'm ranking out. guys that are coming back, I'd say NZ number one for most important, then Thompson, Bolden, and then a giant. <laughs> <laughs> a six foot ten uh, size hole or however tall yeah, I, w- I mean he should be so much I was so excited for him when he was coming yeah. in he just didn't do anything it was really disappointing but I'm really excited because that, that now we don't have to worry about replacing Miles Tate as much because we have somebody at least to come in but mm-hmm. yeah I think that's yeah. a wrap who do you guys who's going to win it all this year good boys go, you already know where I'm going Gonzaga Gonzaga Baylor I'll go oh. Baylor also alright two and two yeah. uh, we'll see how it goes <laughs> Next week, we'll have a breakdown of everything. We'll talk NBA draft, maybe a little bit of baseball, NFL draft coming up too. So uh, see you guys next week. Should be up soon. So adios.